I've always uh, enjoyed and appreciated that song for several reasons. One of the reasons is because um, I try to be a bass during that song. I'm not really even a tenor, to be honest with you, but that's the time I cheat over to the bass side and I try to sing. But the other reason why I love that song is I love the idea of no setting sun, uh, especially now that I'm in Hobbs and the sun sets somewhere between 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I, I have to find my way to my car um, at lunch. Uh, and so it's, it's really nice to imagine that we will find our place where there will be no setting sun and, and many other things. Jim, he grew up in a, a very modest uh, home. It, it was a lower middle income family, but he didn't know that. He, he assumed that he was just like everybody else. His father was a coach, his mother was a teacher. Uh, and so they had two incomes, neither one of them were exceptionally great, but, but they got by. In fact, they had some luxuries in life that, that, that other people didn't get to have, and, and he, he recognized that. One of them was the trip every year that he and his dad would take to the circus when it came to town, this small rural town. But one year, he learned a whole lot about the circus. Well, less about the circus. More about giving. More about when you do things so other people don't see. You see, he and his dad were in line waiting to get tickets. And right in front of him, he noticed uh, there was a man with his wife and family um, there were three little kids, and he could tell that they probably didn't have um, quite the income that he and his family had. He could tell by the dirty jeans, the tattered shirts, the shoes that looked like they didn't quite fit. And as they got closer to the tickets... He was anticipating another great year. He always loved to watch the jugglers, the ones who would, who would set the things on fire and throw them up in the air. And he was talking to his dad, I, I hope they have um, the fire throwing this year. And as they got right up, the family in front of them went to pay for the tickets. And the lady behind the counter announced the price, and both he and his dad noticed the look on the father's face as he realized that he had brought his family to the circus, and when he pulled out all his money, he, he didn't have enough. But it only took a half a second. Jim's dad reached into his pocket and pulled out $20 and dropped it on the ground. And then he, he tapped the man on the shoulder and he said, I, I think you dropped something. And he bent down and he picked it up and he says, I, I think this is yours. And they shared this look. And that family 
maybe for the first time got to enjoy the circus. It also happened to be the only money that Jim's dad had. And they turned around and walked back to the car. And Jim didn't care about seeing somebody throwing fire in the air that night. Because he had just witnessed how God had worked through his father's life. We're going to be looking at a passage today that is going to talk a little bit about the right hand and a little bit about the left hand. But before we do that, Jesus is going to introduce uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up and turn with me. I'll be reading from the NIV. Or if you don't have your Bible with you, shame on you, repent. Bring it next week. Uh, Or for those of you who turning in your Bible requires www.biblegateway.com, get that ready on your iPad or phone. Or if you would like to join us as, as we look at this passage Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is a passage um, that makes me a little antsy. It makes me a little nervous. Starting in verse 1, Jesus is going to introduce not only verses 2, 3, and 4, but actually an extended passage going all the way down to verse 18, where He's going to talk about some different issues. He's going to talk about giving... He's going to talk about prayer, and he's going to talk about what we don't like to talk about, fasting. These were the the, the pillars uh, of action that Judaizers, that Jews would participate in on a regular basis. And we're going to see some key words that that help us understand that this is not something that they thought about doing. This is something that, that really Jesus assumed and expected them to do. But he opens up this section... With verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Now the word be careful is, is a word that basically says be on your guard. Watch out. The present imperative of the Greek leads us to translate this as being a constant vigilance on the part of the one doing the good deed. That we have to be very careful about doing our good deeds so that we do them for the right reasons. Now, it's been a long time, and maybe I I go way too slow. But if we look back to about two months ago, we found ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and we were talking about the salt and the light. And specifically, when we talked about you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, take a light and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, a st- on its stand, so it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16 says this, In the same way, 
Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Is there a contradiction there? Does, did anybody else see a contradiction? Because 5, 6, 5.16 says, Do your good deeds so that people can see it. And now in 6.1, did Jesus forget what He said a few verses back? Does He not say, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men? What's the difference? In the English, what I just did was ask a question. And, and on paper, I would put this little curve and a little dot at the bottom. And that usually, you know, means that you're going to respond. Why would he say in 5.16, do your good deeds so, that in, so people can see him? And now he's saying, don't do your good deeds where people can see him. Does anybody know? Different good deeds. So there's some good deeds we can do in public and some deeds that we shouldn't do in public. Okay. And there's maybe there's something behind that that drives why you're doing those good deeds in the first place. Their motive. Now we're talking about. Now we're talking about motives. Why? Why are we doing the things that we do, and who do we want to see them? Does anybody else in here struggle with motives? Am I the only one? I know this is a church of Christ, and we don't raise hands. But this is this is not this is not the, this is just we're raising our hands to say I agree, and maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. That maybe. Maybe one of the, the biggest struggles I have in my life is, is making sure I'm doing things for the right reasons. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I don't want to get too far ahead. You might think that we're going to have the invitation song in a minute. and We're not quite there yet. Be careful. Be vigilant. And the reason why he says this is not a contradiction. Because when we do this... In 5.16, it's to give glory to God. But now He's warning them. He's warning them now in verses 2 through 4. Starting in verse 5, He's going to talk a little bit about prayer. And then down in verse 16, He's going to talk about fasting. And in each case, He's addressing not the act, but the motive behind what we're doing. And how it's important that we have a pure heart. You see, this is a theme that's continued throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the chapter 5, and when we talked about these six antitheses, he says, you have heard this, but I tell you, do this. He's challenging them, challenging them and us over and over again to go deeper. It's not just about what the outside looks like. And in those six antitheses, he really attacked the religious leaders. And what he was saying to them was, this is what you have said, but this is what I tell you. And this was a bold statement, remember, because he wasn't quoting a rabbi. He didn't say, this rabbi says this. He says, but I say this. And it is with great authority that Jesus spoke. But now he's not just talking about the religious leaders and the things that they say. 
Now he's talking about the things that they do. And I like to keep this in past tense. If you're comfortable with that, I am too. I would rather not indict all of us and say that maybe at certain times of our life that maybe we've had impure motives. It's better to just leave that on the religious leaders, those Pharisees, how dare they do something like that. That they would give so that other people might see him. Verse 2 says this, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Verse 2 the second word, and, and I don't have the verses up here, so so is the first word. Now this is going to be a tough question, so everybody get on your toes. What's the second word in verse 2? Okay, that was pretty good, but I think we can do better. What's the second word? What does when assume? It's going to happen. Now we're okay with this a little bit. It's going to get a little bit more difficult when we start talking about fasting, but we're not there yet. I'll be honest with you, this may not make you very uncomfortable, but it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It makes me a lot uncomfortable. Because if you're like me and you've turned on the TV on Sunday morning and found yourself listening to one of those those preachers on TV, and they're not all bad, but there's quite a few of them that they say, if you just send in your money, everything good that ever, you've ever wanted in your life is going to happen to you. You just send me the money. And so I'm a little uncomfortable talking about money here. But this is really talking about acts of mercy. Uh, the word here is correctly translated in the NRSV is alms to the poor. Be careful that when you are giving, You don't do it so other people can see. When is assumed that we are going to give. Uh, Scholars love to pick apart words. Uh, And and this particular one is of interest when it's talking about the trumpets. And the question is asked, do hypocrites really blow trumpets? Or is Jesus just making a hyperbole here and saying, well, it's kind of like they, you know their own horn. But there is a little bit of historical context that as we look at this passage, there's a few things to note. That when it was time to give, they had these shofar chests, is what it was called in Hebrew, and that is when you would go, there were 13 of them, and you would go put your money in. And and they had it to where the, the big chest, but coming out of the chest was this tube that as it came up, it got bigger and bigger. So it was big enough where you wouldn't miss when you threw your coin in, but it was small enough to where if you wanted to dig it back out, you couldn't get your hand in there. And so these sort of look like trumpets. And so some scholars suggest that, that maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're throwing it in there, and it seems as though some people would make sure they threw them in there Hard, so it would hit and cling and people would notice. That was the trumpet going off. Also on days of fasting, scholars said that, that when it was time to give the alms, they would blow the trumpet and that's when people knew it was time for you to give. And I, I haven't visited with the elders about this, but I'm thinking that, that might not be a bad idea. Right before it's time to give, we can get some trumpets and blow them. 
At least everybody will be awake and know this is the time to, to start giving. We might need to do it in the middle of the sermon too. That, that probably would help. But what Jesus is really trying to say, regardless of the historical context, we know that He's saying, don't do it so people will see you. If we look over in Matthew uh, chapter 15... Jesus says these words as he quotes Isaiah. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their rules are but teachings taught by men. They worship me in vain. Matthew chapter 15, 7 through 9. There's an interesting word here that we're familiar with, but it's actually one that comes straight from the Greek. It's transliterated, which means what it sounds like in the Greek is almost what it sounds like in English. It's the word upokratoi is the plural. Now what word is that? That's hypocrite. Do you know what hypocrite means? What does hypocrite mean? Trying to be something you're not? That's what it means for us. You say one thing and you do another. You don't practice what you preach. You don't practice what you preach. In the Greek, this word, upokratoi, is referring to the theater and specifically to the actors. Upokratoi means the play actors. And Jesus was saying, don't pretend like the people do at the theater. Because when you're enacting, you're not really that person. You're acting like someone else. And He wants to remind them, don't act one way on stage and differently someplace else. Putting, putting on your church hat and calling everybody brother and sister. Uh, there, there's a group that has been out for quite a while. They're called uh, Casting Crowns. Some of you may be familiar with uh, their songs. Uh, specifically, their lyrics to me are just, they, they, they really cut to the heart. And, and many times as I listen to them, it, uh, I am reminded of, of our call to be different. Uh, And there's one particular song that came out about uh, five years ago. The name of the song is Stained Glass Masquerade. And I want to read one verse to this. And and it's going to take two different positions. The first verse really talks about we're broken, but we don't want to admit it. And so we walk around and they say here in the chorus, Are we happy plastic people? Under shiny plastic steeples, with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain. But if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we can close the curtain on the stained glass masquerade. But the second verse is what really got me. Is there anyone who's been there? Are there any hands to raise? Am I the only one who's traded in the altar for a stage? 
The, por- the performance is convincing and we know every line by heart. Only when no one is watching can we really fall apart. This is an interesting struggle that we have. There, there are seven deadly sins, uh, but the Jews later added on an eighth one and they called it, referred to it as vainglory. And they said that's seeking approval for yourself rather than giving glory to God. And let me tell you, if you're, if you're a, a preacher, that's a real problem, I suppose. It is for me. Because somewhere down the line, while I want to give glory to God, I do. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory forever and ever. Psalm 105. But let me tell you, I don't want to look bad up here. I want you to think that I'm a good guy. I want you to think that I study hard and you know, I, I know I'm a preacher, so I only work one day a week, but I really try that one day. Somehow, I want to convince you that I'm not a bad person. And I can't tell you how many days I wrestle with that. How can I glorify God and not lift myself up? This is an interesting struggle because the better you are at resisting other sins, the more difficult this sin becomes. Because if you recognize just how bad you are, you're not going to go around trying to say how really great you are and seeking glory. You're going to recognize, well, I'm, I'm a worm. But if you're like the rich young man who comes before Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He says, do this and do this and check, check. I'm I'm in great shape. I've done all those things. And then Jesus, knowing his heart, challenges him. And the challenge for us as Christians is, is how do we do it? How do we not get into the play acting? But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I refer to this as the ignorant left hand. It does not know what's going on. And I've wondered, why, why would Jesus say, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing? Why doesn't He just say, do your act so other people can't see it? And then I got to thinking... That if your left hand know what your right hand is doing, while your right hand is doing it, you know what your left hand has a, the, the temptation to, to do? Good job. Way to go. And so when Jesus is saying this, He's not just saying, watch out that you don't do it for other people. He's saying, watch out that you don't think too highly of yourself. That when you give to the needy, do so in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. 
And if your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, then nobody's left hand or the right hand will have any idea of what you're doing. Now I want to take just a minute. This does not mean that you cannot do good things out in public. Okay? If you are driving down the road and you see a stranded motorist, do not use Matthew 6, 1 through 4 as logic not to help them. I would love to help them, but if I help them, then somebody might see me and that would be a bad thing. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. But what Jesus is really calling us to do is to examine our motives and examine our hearts. As we have seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what He says over and over again is go deeper. Forget what the rabbi said. Forget about just going this far. I want you to go deeper. And then He says this, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I want to jump back up to verse 2 and close with this thought. Do you remember why some people might choose the hypocrites, for example, might toot their own horn, and they might blow the trumpet, and they do so in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by men? And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, you have received your reward in full. The, the phrase reward in full is actually an accounting term. And what it means is, paid in full. Have you ever had an, a, an account paid in full? I remember when Jennifer and I uh, finally got through with, with our last um, college loan. And we had that little, that little sheet of paper there and we wrote on there, paid in full. And a few days later, we got a letter from the place that had loaned us the money. And they said, thank you for making the payments. Your account is now closed. And it was done. No more of those silly little pay stubs that we had to send money in month after month. It was over. Jesus is using a similar term when He says, if you do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men, let me tell you, it has been paid in full and the account is now closed. There's nothing left. That if that's what you really want out of the giving, if your motive is to be seen by men, then you got it. But let me tell you, that's it. I don't know about you, but for a God who can do more than I can ask or imagine, I think I want to hang on and see what His reward is. Jesus Christ, he, he paid it all. He gave everything for us. And as we have sung numerous times, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. 
save in the death of Christ my Lord. Let me brag about nothing else, not any good that I've done, not any accolades, except that Jesus Christ died for me. That's why we're here, and that's why we celebrate. Because Jesus chose to give it all. And for that, we have salvation. Praise God. I want to ask you to do something this week. Open your Bibles every day. And again, that may mean turning on your iPad. But I want you to continue looking at Matthew chapter 6, at least through, read through 18. And I want you to think about what God has called you to and how you can glorify Him and no one else will ever know. We titled the sermon, Secret Service. And I know you're thinking that means the guy with the, the black suit and the, the little earbud and the dark glasses. But I want to encourage you this week, join the secret service. Be someone who serves without anyone else knowing about it. And if you want to wear the black glasses, you can do that too. We're glad that you have joined us this morning and we pray that you want to help us as we seek to serve our risen Savior. We are so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us and to lift up our almighty God and Father. And we want to encourage you to come back and join us at any time. If you're a visitor, we want you to know of a few things that we do here in just a moment. We're going to sing what we call an invitation song and it's just that. We're inviting anyone who has a need, a prayer request, uh, some, uh, a celebration that if you'd like to share it with us, we want you to know that we're here not only to pray for you, but we will pray with you. We also know that some of you are, are struggling with some issues that may be a little bit more private. And we want to honor those who would like to be prayed for. Uh, we have an elder that's going to be heading back to a room in just a moment. Uh, and it's our family room. It's just down that hallway. You can follow him back there, go in that room, and he would be more than happy. He would feel honored to pray for you and your life and your situations. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, we want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing.